I told him it wouldn't be hard. I wouldn't embarrass him until after he stepped down. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, so we are in a series, The House That God Built. All last year, we spent in the Old Testament. Uh, we started out in Leviticus, some of you remember. And I used the analogy all throughout that Leviticus is the one theological book of the Old Testament. It's kind of captured again in Deuteronomy at the end of the 40 years, and they overlap so much. But it's the one book that lays out the plan for this house that God's going to build. It's really a plan for the people of God. And uh, we didn't know it was going to be a house until the New Testament when the Spirit came. And so we looked at what does holiness look like? And that's all about Leviticus. So now we're going to reverse the process and we're going to go through Ephesians. And I'll come back to that in a second. And now we're going to look back at Leviticus. We looked from Leviticus forward. Now we're going to look backward. So you can see the house that's being built of which you are all a part of. So we chose this this, uh, graphic here because Jesus is the cornerstone of the house. And so he had to come to lay the cornerstone and then the foundation of this building are the prophets and the apostles. And then each one of us is one of the stones. You have your name on one of the stones on this spiritual house, spiritual temple, building, spiritual building, spiritual institution. We're going to use a variety of terms uh, toward the end of the day today. We're going to think about a sanctuary. That's another term. And so it's, it's being built and we are all part of it and we're watching it happen right around us. So the question is, where do we start? So we're going to lay a foundation by looking at Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1 is a, uh, the first psalm in the book. It's a gateway fuel. It's an introduction to the book of Psalms. And it lays out the themes, the major themes that, we're going to, that you would find in Psalms if you read it. But it also looks back and it highlights the themes, major themes of Leviticus. You've heard me say over and over again that the whole t- Bible is integrated it, it, it's all connected. I can walk up here and you can, you can throw out any book and I can tell you about it. Okay. That's just my specialty. That's what I do. Studying it is it's all connected. In fact, when we get to communion, wherever we are in the Bible, it doesn't matter. Wherever we are in the Bible, we can point toward communion. You see the old Testament lays the foundation and points us forward to Christ. The new Testament shows the fulfillment and the coming promises and make, and looks back on Christ and then communion is all about Christ. So wherever we are in the Bible, we can connect it to communion. So let's read Psalm 1. It's not a very long psalm because it lays the foundation. Psalm 1, 1 and 2. Blessed is, it, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. What's the law? Leviticus. That verse, it's that book that's so hard to read because <laughs> there's so many um, commands and rules in there, right? So what we did last year was we looked underneath it for the reason for all of those wonderful rules. The rules don't apply to us, but the reason for the rules do. And he says right here, the delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. If you've never meditated or memorized anything, I would encourage you to do this. I said this all year, I'm going to say it all this year as well, that uh, in a world filled with anxiety, chaos, confusion, we'll talk more about that in a minute, this is the one book that anchors us and gives us a direction to keep us relaxed and calm in the midst of chaos. That's its purpose. So this is why we spent all of 2021 in the Old Testament to acquaint you with the law, because 
it points the way. Remember I said when God speaks into culture, he does three things. Every time he speaks, as far as I can tell, three things. One is he begins to, mit- uh, to mitigate evil practices, to take control and eliminate them. So the evil practices of the world begin to get smaller and smaller. The second thing he does is he points the way. Okay? C.S. Lewis argued that all of us have a moral compass. It's just broken. We want to do what's right, but we have no idea what right is. And so our compass does this. So you look around all the nations. I travel around. Many of you have. And they all have different sets of ethics and values. And uh, prior to the giving of the Ten Commandments, you look at the law codes of the ancient world. They're all over the map. And so we can't figure it out. And so the Hebrew word for law is Torah, and it means to point the way. And so God begins to move us in a direction where everything becomes grounded and focused and stable and secure. And that's what the law was all about, was to point the way to true north so that compass all of a sudden locks in place. Okay? That's what the purpose of the law was. And the law is a thing of grace, it's interesting, one of the things that I, um, I have wrestled with many, many people, some of you in here, a lot of the teens along the way have asked these questions. We talk about sin. That's a big Christian word that's all over the place. Uh, the United States knows all about that word sin. I bet if you, I bet, and I've had this before, if you go out, I bet you a paycheck, if you go out and ask 100 people in the street, does Christianity think adultery is okay or not okay? What's the answer going to be? Not okay, right? We call it sin. Everybody knows that. We've done a great job as a church laying out what is sin and what is not sin, but what we've not done is a good job of explaining what that's all about. Why is it called sin and what actually is sin? And here's my simple explanation of sin. It's not about judgment, okay? That was dealt with on the cross. Sadly, many of our churches have turned it into a judgmental kind of uh, understanding of the word. Sin is really about a God who really cares for us. He really made us for the deepest joy. Think of the fruit of the Spirit. Love. It's okay. Say it. What's the second word? Joy. That's what we're created for. So I picture it this way for our teenagers. It helps them understand it. If I have a four-year-old son and I say, don't run on the street, you're going to get hurt. I'm a wise parent. That's an act of grace. If I say nothing to my son, he runs out in the street and gets hit by a car, I'm now charged with abuse. Okay, so whenever God says something is sin, that's an act of grace. What he's saying is that, uh, that this is going to make you happy. And many of you, most of you have found out the hard way that sin doesn't make you happy. If God had never said that drunkenness was sin, we would have found out the hard way. That really is destructive. But praise God that he said, hey, drunkenness is sin, don't do it. That, all that says is you're not going to be happy when you do it. There's no judgment. That's why Jesus can say in Luke 6, do not judge, do not condemn. And that's why we've, we've worked really hard, elders and staff, to establish an ethos, a culture here that's safe, an ethos where you have the freedom, okay? So the first thing God did when he speaks is he mitigates sinful behavior or bad practices. Second thing is he points us to true north so we know where that happiness is going to be found. Third thing he does is he introduces human dignity. Believe it or not, the world can't figure out what that is. That's because human dignity is bestowed by God. We have all kinds of definitions, but at the very heart of human dignity, it means two things. It means being made in the image of God, and it means you have freedom. It's really what it means. God showed Adam and Eve incredible dignity when he said, you get to choose, and so do you. 
You get to choose every day. That's what, uh, that's what we were created for. What we weren't created for was demonstrating that freedom in the context of sin and fallenness. We're created for that, and we exercise it every day, and most of us exercise it at least half the time in the wrong way. Okay? We sin. We lust. We, we think evil thoughts about people. All those kinds of things. Okay? And so dignity means you get to choose. And so as leaders of the church, our goal is not to control you. That's wrong. I can't convict you. Can't redeem you. Can't transform you. That's all only the Holy Spirit can do that. So my goal is to let you have the freedom to do what you're going to do. And if you find your way into the ditch, to laugh while I'm helping you get out of it. <laughs> so some of you have sat with me. I told you there'll be no judgment or condemnation if you're in trouble. Um, what you might get is some laughter. Wow, you really got yourself in a mess. And the, the other thing is to help you get back on the right track, the right journey. Uh, that's what freedom is. And I don't have to tell you that sin is bad. You already know that. You figure it out. Okay? You just live life and you figure it out. So those are the three things that God does. And so this, the reason why the psalmist is pointing toward the importance of the law is that it points the way. It gives us that blueprint. It gives us a direction, a signpost. It gives us the journey for happiness, for joy. Okay? That's what it does. <clears throat> so the psalm also addresses the key points of the Old Testament uh, and what it means to serve God is found in the law. For instance, he just talked about being blessed. Another one is that living life different than sinners. You don't want to go down that road. Most of us have been down a road far enough to know that that's a dead-end alley, and it's not going to end up where we're comfortable. We're not going to be happy with that. It also talks about delighting in God's law and meditating on it. This is the one place in Scripture that is, I mean, in the world, that is stable. We'll come back to that in just a minute. So, um, but there's another one in verses 3 through 5. I'm going to read that. That person, the one that meditates on God's law and loves it, is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Okay, pause. Now, immediately you think there's a lot of people that are evil that prosper too, right? Don't think of it as prospering in terms of the world's viewpoint. Think of it as prospering from God's perspective and preparing us for that joy and the long-term eternity of his presence and each other's presence. Okay, that's how we prosper. But he goes on there. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. We're going to see this in Ephesians. Okay, a wind. Every, some people are carried away by every wind of doctrine. Some people are carried away by the public health. And, you know, they, they say this and then they say something different. I hear all of your comments. My advice to you is just be patient with the public health and our politicians, okay? The problem is not that they don't know everything. We know that. The problem is that sometimes they pretend to know everything. Just let it go and give them grace, okay? We thought we had it figured out, and all of a sudden we have Delta. Then we thought we had Delta figured out, and now we have Omicron. We thought we had Omicron figured out, and now they got a new one in France. I don't even know what they're calling that one yet. Okay, you know what? We're mortal humans. Just show them a little bit of grace, because they're right, they're trying to help us, okay? Maybe some of them have bad motives. I'm not even going to get into that. Just show them grace and don't worry about it. That's what Christians do. We show grace. And so don't laugh at them, don't mock them, don't make fun of them, okay? Unless you're kind of joking just for fun. But don't worry about it. Let them do what they do best. Because I, I have been in countries where they don't have anything like what we have here. And I don't want that, okay? And so you have this whole 
thing here where we are not swayed by the chaos of the world. And this is one of those places where we as a church, if we build this house, this building, this sanctuary, this institution properly, why would people not want to come? Because we're not swayed by all of the chaos out there and the anxiety. We really are grounded because of this. We have a grounding that says we have a sovereign God. I can imagine what it would have been like when I lost my first wife without believing in God. I can't imagine what it'd be like in a pandemic, uh, chaotic, politically chaotic world if I didn't believe in God. Yeah, I'd be chased all over the place, up and down, left and right, arguing. And all you got to do is just get on Twitter for 10 minutes and you'll see what I mean. Okay, (laughs) I look at Twitter every day. Man, everybody's got opinions and everybody likes to be mean. Everybody likes to fight. Let's not be that way. All right, let's not use our social media for that reason. And so being grounded comes from meditation in the word. And therefore, we're not swayed by the chaos of the world. Or as Ephesians say, we're not shifting with every wind of doctrine that comes along. We're stable. We're grounded. We're the people in the county that aren't afraid. We're respectful. We're responsible. But we're not afraid. But then he goes on in verse 6. I love this. For the Lord um, watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. You see, we are accepted into God's assembly, and therefore we enjoy his protection. His protection and his guidance. Our lot in life is assured. Last thing God said to Daniel, the Old Testament. Daniel said, he's the one that got all the visions about the coming Messiah and the world order and everything. And he, and he said, I don't understand this. And God said, that's okay. Write it down. Um, someday people will come along that will understand that it's just not you. Lay down, go to sleep with your fathers, and you'll wake up and you'll receive your inheritance. Talking about faith. You see, the saints of the Old Testament, they all did is look forward to this vision. Hebrews tells us that they didn't get to enjoy it. We get to enjoy it. All they could do is see it and envision it and live by faith that it's coming one day. So we enjoy this protection. Psalm 1 was meant to be sung, just like all the Psalms. When the Israelites got together for three times a year for all the great festivals and feasts, they would sing these Psalms. And you know what happens when you sing worship songs? The values become our values. So if you're never in the Word, guess what? You adopt naturally the values of the world. That's what you naturally adopt. Um, I'm very grateful for Rob and the worship teams because they're very careful when they look at the, the words of our songs because we know and believe that as you sing them that they, they begin to define you, who you are. So I know some of you sing in the shower, nobody can hear you. Some of you sing on the road, nobody can hear you. Good, keep doing it. I'd encourage all of you to do it. Memorize verses out of here, okay? If you struggle with anxiety, Memorize Psalm 4, I mean, uh, Philippians 4. Think on these things. Anything that's good, think on it. Discipline yourself every morning to have good thoughts and not pay attention to the, the chaos around you. And so as we meditate on God's word, his values become our values. Okay, let's go back to the blueprint now. <clears throat> being a spiritual house, building a house is a lot more than simply building a structure, Okay. When structures are built, they actually begin to shape the people that occupy them and use them. For example, you look in a medical office building. I go to one 
over by Frisco all the time, sadly. And that's just part of my life, okay? PT because of this. By the way, I'm doing fine with my hip, uh, asthma, all that. And so the people inside that building, their focus is all about health care, right? You walk into the courthouse. Uh, hopefully some of you have never been there. I've been there more than once. And, uh, and the people that are inside the courthouse are there for a reason. It kind of shapes who they are. So every building that's built uh, has a purpose, and it's important for us to understand actually what that purpose is. You see, the church is more than simply a building. It's an institution. You're going to hear more about this next week. It's an institution that exists for specific reasons, one of which is to shape you into the image of Christ. But another one is to reveal the glory of God. We are the only institution on the planet that reveals the kingdom of God. We're the only one. Therefore, we should be careful how we build this building. Okay? We're going to see in Ephesians chapter 3, the manifold witness of God is revealed through the church. At the end of chapter 3, to God be the glory in the church. And you see, that's our job, is to reveal the wisdom of God, the glory of God. And so it's a combination of shaping all of us together in one group so that we perform the function of the institution, okay? We're the only institution on the earth that's tasked with this. How we build this institution is very important. That's why I said, don't, don't get so upset about people making public announcements, okay? Don't try to judge politicians' motives because you really don't know. So one thing God told you not to do was uh, assign motive to people, that's a unique role of God because you're not omniscient. You don't really know what they're thinking. We have ideas. Just hold them loosely, okay? So don't criticize. Don't mock too much. Don't laugh too much. Let them be politicians and let the Lord take care of it. But as an institution, we want to be one that's shaping in its primary, as a primary role of glorifying God to a world that doesn't know him because you know what the world is like out there, you know? Every Sunday we have new people coming that are coming because of the anxiety. They don't know what to do with it. We should be the one institution that smiles. We got it. We're, we're grounded. We're confident in what the Lord is doing. And so the role of the Spirit not only builds it, and that's what happened at Pentecost, the Spirit came. That's the builder, okay? Bill said he's a builder. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He's building this institution, this church, this building, this uh, whatever you want to call it, all the language, he's building it so that we can not only enjoy that deeper joy. By the way, that's the answer to the people that say, I can find God in the mountains. Yeah, maybe you can, but what you can't find is the joy. It's pretend. Because joy comes from being turned and shaped into the image of Christ. That's not going to happen there. It's going to happen here. That's the role of the church, is to, Spirit, as he builds us, shapes us into his image. Okay, what is our purpose? It's far more about building a building. It's about fulfilling our purpose. The very heart of it, the very heart of Christianity is found in Matthew 28. Okay, you know this verse. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given or returned to me. Remember, he, he did not use his divine prerogatives while he's on the earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. By the way, uh, coming up in February, we'll give you more information later. We have another inquirer's class and a baptism Sunday. 
if any of you want to get baptized, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now listen to the last thing he says. Remember he said to the disciples, because they were nervous he was leaving, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That word, those promises are all throughout the scripture. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Okay? We're never alone. That's why I said to our elders many times, we have nothing to be afraid of. Let culture throw at us whatever they want. Okay? We'll interact with it. We'll engage it. But they'll never tell us how to live life. We're going to find that here. And so we're not going to get upset about it. The elders have asked me, well, why do we need to be, you know, apolitical? I can tell you why. We're the only institution on the earth that brings the glory of the Lord out, the kingdom to the world. The moment I, the moment I begin to argue for republicanism, I immediately I alienate, isolate all the Democrats. The moment I'm anti-CRT or pro-CRT, then everybody on the other side of that argument is now going to get lost. Why would I want that to happen? We're not about politics. We're about the Lord Jesus. We're about shaping people with hope. That's what we are. And so, no, I'm never going to take a stand up here. And to this day, some of you may think you know how I vote, but you don't know how I vote. Okay? As one person said, sometimes I think you're a Democrat, and sometimes I think you're a Republican. We went out to coffee. And she said, so I just come, came to find out, what are you? I said, that is a great question. <laughs> and she reaches across the table, and she slugs me. She goes, you're not going to tell me. No, I'm not. The moment I become political... We're going to start cutting off people that need to hear the gospel. That's why. Listen to this good old language from our Constitution, written before all of you were even born, okay? I love this language. It's just saturated and so thick and old. I just think it's wonderful. Here's the Constitution of Dillon Community Church, our purpose. The purpose of this church shall be to maintain in this vicinity, remember 1912, when this church was started, there were no ski resorts. It was a mining town. It was a ranching town. And there was a lot of guys that probably were doing things they shouldn't be doing. So the wives basically said, look, if you want us to grow up here and raise our kids, we need law and order, we need a church, we need a school. So a ladies' aid society formed, and they started Dillon Community Church, 1912 or something like that, okay? Right next door, the county museum, that's our original church, down from below the reservoir before they flooded it. Isn't that great? And here's our purpose Think about all the years, over 100 years of living this out. The purpose of this church shall be to maintain in this vicinity a testimony to historic and fundamental Christian faith, to preach the word of God to the mutual, I just love these old words, to the mutual edification, instruction, and discipline of its members and other believers to be instrumental of the Holy Spirit in the salvation of souls. Now we're talking about outside. To help young Christians develop in the spiritual life, to instruct our children in the scriptures, to aid in any way possible the furtherance of the gospel ministry on both home and foreign fields. Isn't that beautiful language? And we have over 100 years of working toward that goal. I read this purpose statement at least once a month. And uh, everything we do, I, I always go back and say, does it fit within this purpose statement right here? Jude is a master at when people come to use the building, do they fit within our purpose statement? Our mission hanging on the wall or the glass up there as disciples of Christ. Our mission is to love, serve, and teach. That's why we exist as a church. And the moment we become political, 
It's gone that fast. No, we will always be apolitical. I will, as long as I'm here. And so as we look at Ephesians, we're going to see a house, i.e. an institution, that is like none other on the earth. The elders are reading this book called A Time to Build, which is an analysis of the crumbling confidence that we have in the institutions. If you're interested, go pick up a copy and read it. You can see what the elders are studying. Okay? There's no question that the, that the confidence in our institutions in this country are eroding. They really are. I mean, I hear it all the time from just you guys, not to mention outside. I don't have confidence in Dr. Fauci. don't have confidence in President Biden. don't have confidence in former President Trump. don't have confidence in CDC. don't have confidence in NIH. don't have confidence in social media. The list goes on and on and on. You know what that means? We are set up perfectly for people to trust us. Our confidence disappeared long before the people's confidence in the church in the United States disappeared long before their confidence in public institutions. We can recapture it. We have marriages that are being blessed. We have children and teenagers that are learning the way of life that's healthy and good, right? We can show the world what it means to have confidence in an institution. That's what we are about. Okay, so Psalm 1 reminds us of a very simple principle. In the end, there's only two ways to live life. You know, when you get toward the end of life, many of our older people prepared me for this, and I'm already feeling it. I'm already asking the question, did my life count? Where I spent my time? You see, you only got two ways to live life. You can live it faithfully, or you can live it from a worldly perspective. Those are your two options. When I came to Christ a long time ago, I was in the Navy in the nuclear power program, nuclear power school in Orlando, Florida, and I had been wrestling for three years. I'm a skeptic, Okay. I'm a skeptic. It took me three years. After what I had seen in life by that time, not sure I want anything to do with Christianity, but the Lord wouldn't let me go. And so I never will forget sitting on the lake on the Navy base on the shore, wrestling right at the very end before my, at that time, my girlfriend's father led me to Christ, right at the very end. And I remember coming up with two things that non-negotiables to become a Christian. <laughs> Here I am arguing with God, negotiating. Okay, I'll become a Christian, but number one, if you are not real, I'm going to be really pissed. But if you are, you have my whole life. That was 44 years ago, and I haven't looked back. Number two, I will never be a pastor. Now I understand Psalm 2 where God laughs at the nations. I think he's just up there laughing his head off, saying, great, I agree to your demands. Now when you start transforming, we'll see what happens. And here I am, all these years later, doing the one thing I said I would never do. And I took a book from Costco to to convince me to become a pastor 10 years ago. You'll have to ask me about that privately. So you have to answer two questions, and I would encourage you to answer them before life ends. Because you are going to answer them in death. Number one, is there a God? You will answer that question. Every human will. I don't care if you're atheist, agnostic, it doesn't matter to me. When you you die, you're going to answer the question, is there a God? And I hope by then you've already answered it (laughs) and you're not too late. But the second question is, did you live your life faithfully or from a worldly perspective? As Paul said in 2 Timothy, the time of my departure has come. I am now being poured out 
as a drink offering on the service of your faith. In the future, there awaits for me a crown. How are you going to answer that question? This is what the church is, is about. It's not about judgment. It's not about sin. Those are all intricacies that we have to deal with. But the real purpose of the church is to help you answer those questions. Do you really believe in God? And how are you going to answer the question at the end of life? What are you going to want on your tombstone? So when you meet the Lord, you say, I'm ready. I'm not ready to go yet, but I tell you what, after 44 years of immersing my life in this book, I can't wait to see him. The honest truth is, death no longer is a big scary thing for me. I've experienced so much grace. I want to experience that grace crossing over that boundary, that threshold. I just said, Lord, if, if you listen to my prayers, please don't let me drown or die in a fire. <laughs> Those are my own personal fears. But I look forward to it. That grace that will enable me to cross that threshold and take my last earthly breath and take my first breath in the new earth. What's that going to be like? No asthma. No COVID. No President Trump. No President Biden. I could go on and on and on. It's going to be enjoyable. So being involved in this building project is a part of the walk of faith. But do it genuinely. So you want to know what this building looks like? Here's what we're going to see in Ephesians. The blueprint for our building, for Dillon Community Church, it's a house of blessing. We're going to walk through Ephesians, and here it is. It's a house of thanksgiving. It's a house of the living, not the dead. It's a house of reconciliation where people can come and resolve things. It's a house of wisdom where we can see the truth, not what our politicians tell us, but what the Lord says is truth. It's a house of glory where we get the privilege and the fun of reflecting his glory to a world that doesn't know him yet. It's a house of unity. You know, we got all, every denomination you can imagine here. And I, th- I encourage debate and fights, arguing. I love it. Okay, all of our elders are scattered all over the theological map. It's really fun to argue and debate. I told our elders, you could even draw blood. I don't care as long as we go out for a beer afterward. Okay, it's a house of unity where we can have a lot of fun and set our differences aside, laugh and go fishing together, whatever we're going to do. It's a house of kindness where when the world walks in, we're kind to them. Say, welcome here. You found a home. It's a house of love. We love you. We care for you. It's a house of mutual submission. This is the famous verse, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. We always focus on that one verse. We missed the one before it. Submit yourselves to one another. Okay? First time in recorded history that I know of where that's said. What a beautiful thing we submit to one another. That's a house of relationships, and it's a house of protection where God talks about spiritual warfare and how we take care of each other. This is the building that God built. And we're going to spend the next couple, two or three months really working that out and looking at those details because that's what you, that's what we are becoming individually and as a church. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for, for not forgetting us, but for building this house that meets all of these characteristics. 
Because these are the characteristics of you. This defines who you are. And now you're helping us to understand you want that to define us because that's where we'll find the deepest joy. That's it, by being like you. Thank you so much for your goodness and the privilege of spending time in Ephesians. Thanks for giving it to us. But thank you for these people sitting right here who have almost all uh, made the commitment to trust you. Help us, Lord, as the Father said in the Gospels, uh, I believe. Help us in our unbelief so we become more and more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're going to do something a little different on the offering today. We're going to take two offerings. This church has a long history. Uh, from the very beginning, they have been committed to helping those in need. So we took an offering when the big earthquake happened in Haiti. We took an offering when the